Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Flow Track Podcast. I'm Kevin Sully, joined by Lincoln Shrike. We are both in our houses still here in Austin, Texas. And on today's episode, joining us from a car in Idaho, it's Emma Bates. Emma, how are you doing? Uh, as good as you can be in this situation. I am in the parking lot of my mom's apartment right now because uh, my house doesn't get very good service. I live an hour outside of Boise in the mountains. Uh, so that's why I'm in a car right now. I don't want to, you know, subject my, my family to too much contact. And so this is my, you know, uh, result of, of trying to space myself from everybody. So this is why I'm in my car. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what the last mo has been like for you. You were very public about how you got sick and potentially were showing COVID-19 symptoms. How are you feeling now and, and what's this last month been like for you? Yeah, I'm feeling perfectly back to normal now. Um, I was lucky enough to not have had you know, symptoms. It was just mild to moderate. Um, I didn't realize I had symptoms until it was after the fact of, um, you know, I was traveling from Spain. My husband and I, decided to go on a honeymoon. We decided this back in July of last year. We decided we would go um, to Spain for our honeymoon for a couple weeks. And uh, I think I ended up contracting it there. Um, on the way back um, from traveling from Spain, um, I had some severe stomach issues, diarrhea, and I just thought I had eaten something weird. Um, and it turns out that was a symptom of COVID, um, presumably. And uh, it was just like a really miserable experience. I mean, being sick when you're traveling. Um, and then it progressed into like body aches and just flu-like symptoms. And then eventually shortness of breath um, about five days into probably the, the presumed um, COVID uh, symptoms. So um, I didn't get it bad. I mean, it's, it wasn't fun to be sick. It's never fun to be sick, but I was lucky enough to, you know, not um, have to go to the emergency room or anything like that. I was just, you know, in bed for a solid week um, and my husband was taking care of me. He was fine. He had um, some body aches and a headache, but other than that, he didn't have any other symptoms. So he was lucky um, to, to not have anything serious at all either. Um, and the reason why like we don't know if we have it or not is because we weren't able to get tested um we tried three different times to get tested and um, they kept telling us that our symptoms weren't severe enough so they just would turn us away um so i don't know if i had it or not but um i just assumed that i did just with the symptoms that i had everyone has been talking about how the situation changed so fast from you know we go back to the the Olympic trials in February, thousands of people standing next to each other, you in the starting line with hundreds of other people. No one was even at least too much concerned about it. I'm wondering though, after the trials and when you made the trip to Spain, was there any concern in your mind starting out that trip that maybe maybe this is something that's a risk? Yeah, I mean, keeping up with the media, we, we were concerned um, at first. And then the more that we looked up on it, there just wasn't anything, you know, to be worried about, it seemed. Um, nobody was saying that you shouldn't be traveling right now. It was just like, don't go to China, don't go to Italy. And so we were like, I we assumed it was fine. And so we ended up going over there. And even there, we kept asking um, the locals, like, you know, are you guys concerned? Um, should we be concerned? Everybody's like, everybody's blowing it out of proportion. They kept saying, you know, oh, it's not that big a deal. And, you you know, um, tourists have been just, you know, they don't understand that this isn't going to amount to anything and people shouldn't be fear and this and that. So the whole time we were, we kept questioning it, but um, everything that, all the media was telling us and everybody was telling us that you shouldn't be worried. And so we just kept going on our way, like everything was fine. And um, again, I think that's how everybody thought it was. Everybody thought it was fine until it wasn't. So um, I think we're in the same boat as most people, especially in the, the United States with, you know, our the leader telling us it's not a big deal um, and we shouldn't be worried about it. So. Yeah, we were concerned, but again, uh, it is a mute point um, when you just don't listen to your gut feeling about it not being right. Yeah. 
how has your experience of you know presumed positive like you said i know you weren't able to get tested but how has it informed your view of the whole crisis as a whole i'm you know do you i don't know it sounds like you know you've kind of you have you've seen some things that are can you can view negatively with the way it was handled in the US, but I, I'm just wondering how having your experience and, you know, like you said, kind of being told that it was going to be okay when it clearly wasn't, how it kind of has informed your opinion of the whole situation. It obviously hits home more now that I, you know, did have symptoms and, and feel like I did um, contract it. Um, so it definitely hits home more than most people. Um, but I think that the reason why I, you know, put it out there that, you know, I was having all these issues and um, I was trying to inform people, um, you know, via Twitter that anybody can get this, even a healthy endurance athlete can get this and we shouldn't feel like we're um, invincible to this and immune to this because anybody can get it. Um, and just because I didn't get it bad doesn't mean that the next person isn't going to get it bad, it's especially um, an endurance athlete in my situation, you know, may not be as lucky. And so I just, I don't want people to think that only people, you know, in um, that have underlying conditions or, you know, older people are the only ones that are, you know, contracting this. So that was kind of uh, the reason why I put it out there and got a lot of um, backlash for it. Like, oh, you know, this, this person is just trying to get attention, you know, it's, it, it just, it didn't, it wasn't accomplishing what I wanted it to accomplish. And so I, I definitely went off of social media for a while, just because I was like, the, people aren't understanding this. And, um, and I don't think they're understanding the weight of the situation. And I don't really understand why we're worrying about such frivolous things when people are, you know, dying every day from this really bad disease. And so um, I wanted to come and talk with you guys about it just, you know, um, to shed some light on, you know, my experience just because I, I have presumably have gone through it, um, but also like just trying to inform people that you need to be taking this seriously. Um, I'm recovered from it, um, but other people aren't recovering from it. And we need to keep um, just educating ourselves on the situation at hand and knowing that it's it's still really bad and it's still going to be bad and it's gonna get worse for a while before it gets better. And we need to be smart and we need to space ourselves and we need to do all that we can to you know prevent people from getting it as much as we can. I know there also was an issue with your husband because he works in a field where he interacts with a lot of people. Was there any resolution on on that front from his employer? There was. It's it's nice because he works for um, a union or he's a part of a union. And so they were the ones that um, were on the front line of, you know, telling his work that, you know, this is not OK. It's not OK for you guys to not be supplying your employers um, precautionary equipment and hands sanitizer and this and that. And it's not okay for you to um, allow people to come into work that were mandated by, you know, the CDC or the government to stay home. And so when we got off the plane from Spain, we were told to quarantine ourselves for 14 days. And once we told my husband's work that we need to do this, they said that that's not like, that's not possible. That's too long. And so I took to Twitter because I was like, I don't think people are understanding the weight of this situation. I don't think, um, you know, this is right. And I want other people to, you know, kind of uh, assure me that we were in the right, you know, that this isn't something that should be, again, taken lightly. And we were mandated by the government to stay home at people's, you know, for people um, to not get sick by us if we possibly had it. So it was just such a high risk situation, I thought, um, to expose not only people that my husband works with, but people, you know, that are accepting UPS packages and stuff like that and this and that. So that was just something that uh, was very uh, enlightening to how little people were taking this um, case as you know you know we we traveled back from from spain and it just seemed like nothing really had changed here and that that was really 
disconcerting, but just seeing everything that was going down in Spain and the lockdowns and everything. And so to come back here and realize that people weren't getting it, it was, it was a little, little scary. Yeah. You in essence, were seeing a preview because Western Europe's been ahead of the United States, just in terms of when the, when the virus hit there. So you were, you were seeing what was going to happen in, in a week or 10 days or two weeks, basically. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, the last few days we were in Spain, it was complete lockdown. We didn't know where we were going to stay. Um, we had to, you know, try to knock on hotel doors to try to let us in just because we had nowhere else to go. Um, wow. So that, that was um, very real. That was when it hit us, at least at this, like, this is a this is a big deal. Um, and we just, we really wanted to get home just because we were in a foreign country. And again, we didn't know where to stay. And um, so we wanted to get back and we were fully prepared to be quarantined by, you know, we flew into New York City and we we thought like once we got off the plane, they were going to quarantine us for 14 days. That's what I thought was going to happen. Um, we thought we were going to be stuck in New York for 14 days. And I was fully prepared to do that. And I, I, wanted to do that and so to come back and for people to just be like oh yeah just go about your business go you know catch a couple more flights to get back to boise idaho it, it just it was it was weird um not what we expected at all can you describe you mentioned that having a knock on hotel rooms what what exactly transpired before that and why were you in that position to where there wasn't going to be a place to stay for you so we had um, gone to a small town in northern Spain, and so we knew to get back to the U.S., we would have to travel back to a bigger city. So back to we went to Barcelona to be able to catch a flight from Barcelona to New York. And so once we got back from that small um, town in northern Spain, um, we got off the plane in Barcelona, and there was nothing open. Um, we got off, we got into the um, airport and there were still taxis, but that was like, that was it. There was no public transportation. It was very desolate. It was just very, very odd. And so we kept asking um, the driver, like, where, where should we go? And he had no idea. He had no idea what was happening. Um, he took us to like the downtown center and um there was just no no places open. Um, and so eventually we ended up like calling some places that may have been open. Well, some of them were full and so they weren't letting us in or, um, so we eventually ended up going to this one hotel and all their doors were locked and we were just like, you know, let them let us in. And they were, they were very nice about it. They told us like we would only be able to stay there for maybe a night or two. Um, but that was it. And so we were like, we need to stay here and then like, just get the heck out of here. Um, if we can just try to try to, you know, um, get home, um, at all costs. And so, um, we ended up being able to stay at that place, but, um, it just, again, was, was scary to know that we wouldn't have a place to stay if we, if we weren't able to stay in, in that hotel, basically. Um, so yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I answered your question. Sorry. No, that's that's okay. Um, you mentioned kind of the blowback you got online, which is perplexing in itself. I'm curious, what was the what was the nature of the the criticism that you were complaining about not being able to get a test? That you were maybe politicizing something? Like, what was it that people were upset with you for sharing your story uh, about? Yeah, I think people were upset that I was like calling out my husband's business. Um, and I and I understand that, but I also wanted people to know that there are companies out there that are risking their employers' lives and um, the lives of the people that those employees are in contact with. And so I wanted to shed some light on what is actually happening in real time in our experience anyway, and I'm sure if it's happening in our experience that it's happening all over the nation. Um, and I, I, I just wanted people to know that that stuff is going on. And so for people to say like, you know, I'm just trying to bash my husband's company, that's not the case. I just, I just wanted them to make some changes. 
not to say that I'm the one to make those changes, but um, I just wanted, again, people to know. And then I got some backlash for like, you know, again, sharing my experience and people saying like, oh, I just want sympathy um, or I'm just trying to get attention, stuff like that. Um, which again, I'm just trying to share my experience and let people know that I am a very healthy individual and I still got sick. Um, I, I still was, you know, able to spread it, I'm sure within those 14 days. And, um, you know, I just wanted people to know that. And then, um, people also said like, oh, well, why are you trying to get tested? You're exposing people to yourself if you do have it um, by going and getting tested and trying so many times to go and get tested. Well, the the places that you get tested, you don't get out of your car. You're in your car the whole time. And so you're not in contact with anybody. Um, and I think it's really important that everybody gets tested so that we can get a better handle on this thing and know how it's spreading, know who's getting it. And so um, I think it's really important for you know, everybody to get tested. And it was just odd that people didn't understand why you would want to get tested. And you should just assume that you have it and stay home. But I think um, all the countries at least that have had a handle on the situation a little bit better have tested everybody or have made an effort to test everybody. And it's just odd that like we haven't been testing um, everybody. I still haven't gotten tested. Um, so again, maybe that's because I'm in Idaho. I don't know if that's, you know, we just don't have as much resources or something. Um, but I know that other people out there aren't able to get tested either. Um, so the more people are being tested, the more we, you know, can understand this virus. And presumably, again, not a doctor, not a medical expert here, but if you got tested and they knew that you had it and then you recovered, I believe they're doing work now with plasma donations for people who have recovered from COVID-19. So that way you would, in essence, be able to, to help other people. But there's no, I, I, I don't know if that, is that lost in time now? Because now if you do get a test, I don't, I don't know how that works medically. Like, have you spoken even to, to doctors in the last week or so? They don't really have time. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. yeah. It seems... Uh, they're like, oh, well, do you have severe symptoms? If you don't, they just kind of dismiss you, um, mm -hmm. at least locally. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I've been trying to keep up with uh, the media about, you know, the, the testing and how people who have recovered can help. And that's the biggest way you can help. But um, they're not doing anything like that here. I know they're doing that mm -hmm. in like Washington. So obviously, I'm not going to like go all the way to Washington if you're not supposed to, you know, be leaving your home and this and that like, but I, again, I want to know if I had it or not. And know that if I recovered, so that I can go help even just like in my own community and go and volunteer and try to, you know, help everybody that I can without, you know, catching it myself if I didn't have it or spreading it if I now have it because I mean we just don't know I mean the this people are asymptomatic and mm -hmm. again I don't know if I, if I were to get tested now if it would be positive even if I did have it it's it's very confusing and people don't really seem to have an answer about anything and you know I think that's that's my biggest stress right now is knowing how to help um it's just it it's really hard to just sit at home and not do anything when people are suffering or, you know, people are losing their jobs or, you know, the, the grocery stores are shorthanded or the hospitals are shorthanded and, you know, you want to help, but people are just telling you to, there's nothing you can do but stay home. So that's, that's been the hardest thing for me anyway. Is your, I, sorry if I miss this, but is your husband still working? He is, yes. So after the, the two weeks of the self-quarantine, which they eventually allowed because of his uh, union, um, he went back to work. And so he's back to work full time. And uh, it, it seems a lot better. Um, he th there, The precautions there seem good and people are wearing face masks and they have hand sanitizer and this and that. So that's good. And I and I and I'm not worried about him um, per se. So that's, that's nice to have peace of mind there. The situation nationwide has obviously gotten worse in the two weeks or so since you've spoken about this or, you know, wrote about it on Twitter. I'm curious if you're 
encouraged or discouraged by the, the, the recent developments and, you know, what, are you surprised at all about how things have developed in the country? Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, a lot of people that I follow on Twitter and social media, um, has been like a very discouraging thing, um, just because of the running community right now. Um, I, I don't understand why our focus is on the things that we're focusing on. So that has been really hard to kind of, um, understand just like I understand being so worried about the Olympics and pushing that back and you know making sure that everybody has a fair chance but now a lot of the focus is on you know these qualifying meets and stuff like that and so it's it's very discouraging to know that people care more about running races and running qualifying times than than helping other people or or even being concerned about other people um, just seems like very, uh, very selfish. Um, and I don't mean to call people out. I mean, I know that people may not um, have an understanding of this quite as like some people do. Um, this hits home for me just because I did have it, um, or I presumably had COVID, but um, it hits home for me more because um, I lost, I lost my dad um, a few years ago. And to something that is very like similar to the situation, he had a rare lung disease that he ended up passing away from. And I think I just can sympathize more, I guess, with the people that are losing loved ones and this and that. And so I'm just taking it a little more seriously maybe um, than some people because they, you know, haven't had somebody in that situation. You know, I, my dad, when he, it was October of 2016 that I first learned that he was having health problems. And it was a month later that he ended up passing. So it was a very, a very fast um, passing, um, very fast digression of health. And so I can sympathize with the people that um, are contracting COVID and, you know, their health has digressed rapidly over two weeks and to the point of being put on a ventilator. And if you haven't seen anybody put on a ventilator, there is, it's very traumatizing um, to see a loved one have multiple tubes shoved down their throat um, in order to be able to breathe and to be put under sedation and not be able to talk to them while their while their health is deteriorating to the point of not being able to survive and so i just sorry to get emotional but it's just like i just picture all these people that aren't even able to hold their loved one's hands while they while they pass away and for people to not realize that like this is affecting people in the way that it is, it's just really disheartening. And um, and I just want people to know that like, it's not, it's not about them right now. It's about the people that are going through these really tough times and we need to be there for them. Even if they have yeah. somebody pass, they, they don't have anybody to hug. They don't have people to hold their hand right now. Um, and so I think that has been the hardest thing for me is for people to sympathize with what is, what is happening and, um, to look beyond themselves and, and the hardships that they're going through of not being able to do sports or, you know, do the fun things that they once did. And it's, it's just, it's hard for me to, um, understand where people's heads are at right now when when this is very very serious and very very sad and very affecting so um that's yeah sorry no not a problem at all thanks for for sharing that i'm you you mentioned you know the familiarity of someone being on a ventilator and your own experience with what you suspect was the disease i'm wondering coming through this but still really feeling the strong emotions of it um 
where is your mental health at now? Do you feel like you're having to pick those pieces up? Like, where are you at? Where, what, what headspace are you in right now? Um, it's a lot of emotions. There are times when, you know, I just cry and cry and cry. And I don't know if that's because, you know, again, it triggers something from my past. Um, or if it is really just, I understand what the world is going through right now and it, it is very affecting um, and, it, and it hurts and it hurts to see these people go through all this stuff. And um, But then there are times when I need to obviously be optimistic and um, know that we're all gonna get through this eventually. Um, so being optimistic, I think is, is, it helps just to relieve some of the, the pain and the, the heartache of everything um so i think you have to set that time for yourself to be happy and to laugh and to still you know see the the good in life and see the sunshine and everything and but um be realistic also and so that's been what i've been trying to do you know i go on uh the internet to see what's going on and keep up with media as much as i can but you have to take a break i mean this is just obviously a really hard time for everybody and to be at home and to, again, not be able to do anything and just sit there and um, it's it's going to take a toll on your mental health for sure. And so and I definitely have some some past mental health issues, um, depression, anxiety and stuff like that. And I, you know, I'm trying to not get into a funk um, with that and try to, you know, find the things that make me happy and you know, my husband makes me happy. My dogs make me happy. Running makes me happy. So I try to latch onto those things as much as I can um, to be able to get through all this. And so, and that's what I love about social media too, is you see the the happiness that people still have. And so that does help um, going for runs and, you know, relieving that stress and everything. We, we still have to focus on that stuff. So I'm glad that running is there for me in that way. Um, I don't feel like I have to run fast times in order to, you know, still have that in my life. I can just go out for a run um, by myself or with my husband and and feel that happiness again. That was going to be my next question: is has running been therapeutic for you? It sounds like it has. What what ha what sort of runs have you been doing? I mean, your your big race was was a month ago, so you, it seems like you have some some freedom to just go out and and enjoy the sport and use it as a vehicle to to get all these emotions out. How has it been out there? Yeah, it's been really nice, um, especially out where we live. We live an hour outside of Boise, so we don't see anybody, and the, it's just beautiful with all the trees and um, and the sunshine. It's getting warm here, so it's it's amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's you know being able to run with my husband has been everything. You know, I it's hard not being with my team. You know, I have a lot of teammates here and they're all running alone and um, it's just been, it's been hard um, not seeing people. And so we try to make that time, you know, um, to, to call each other, to check in and everything like that. But um, we obviously miss, you know, practice and, and hanging out with each other and going on fun runs. But I, I found, um, I've found such joy in running by myself in the past that like I can, I can get back to that and still, um, really, um, again, meditate. That's my time to meditate and the time to kind of order my thoughts and, and this and that. There's a lot of things going up in, in my head right now and, and to sort it is, is very important right now and to, to kind of understand and to calm myself and, and everything and center myself is, is everything. And so um, it has been it has been really nice um, to be able to, to run again and I wasn't able to run, you know, for a month just because um, I was taking a break and then I got sick. And so to have that, I, I don't take it for granted um, at all. Um, not that I did before, but I'm definitely really happy that we still have the opportunity to go outside and, and um, do what we love to do. Does living an hour outside of Boise, does that make it easier to deal with this or 
harder because I could see both sitting you're farther away from resources. So if something did happen and you're in a, a unique situation, like you mentioned before, but also it means that social distancing is obviously something you probably were already doing for the most part. Yeah, um, definitely social distancing already, but I'm also such an introvert. So um, it wasn't that hard for me to just kind of like, okay, see you guys, you know, when, when, when I see you. Um, I think that's definitely a lot harder right now for extroverts to, to not be around people because that's, you know, how they, they garner all their energy and everything. So I, I definitely find energy and the peace and the quiet and, you know, kind of unplugging a bit. And so it is, it is harder in a sense that um, we live off grid. So we don't have running water. We don't have electricity. Um, so a lot of times the only way we would shower um, was to come down to our local gym and the local gym is closed. And so finding ways to shower has been um, difficult. Uh, my mom lives here. So like we're, we kind of just like pop in and out um, to shower here when we can, um, when we can get down to Boise. Um, but uh, other than that, it's been easier just because uh, I don't have to worry about running into people on my runs. Um, I don't have to worry about, you know, distancing myself um, in the, the trails that we have there because nobody's out there. Um, so that has been nice. I don't have to stress about, um, again, social distancing when we live up there. So um, in that sense, it's easier. The, the whole, um, you know, daily life stuff of showering and doing the dishes and things like that has been a little more challenging, but um, nothing that we can't handle. Um, and we have a lot of people here that have offered, you know, for us to stay with them and this and that. It's like, that's really sweet, but we we can do this. It's, this is what we, the life that we chose to live was, you know, off grid and everything and we'll, we'll make it work. So we're figuring it out. It seems like a, a lifetime away now and obviously it's at the not important relative to what we've been talking about in the current situation but uh your seventh place finish at the trials given some time to look back on that you know how do you think that race went for you and uh maybe what could you have done better to get top three i guess yeah that one stung quite a bit um i was fully prepared to make that team um, I thought I was going to make it, and I was in the best shaping into that race. Um, just was in a really good mindset, and I made a lot of tactical mistakes, and I didn't want the race to be tactical. The whole time, I was like, if it's tactical, I'm not going to do well. Um, and that's like something that I was really bad at on the track and that definitely was something at a championship race that was always a factor was tactics um so to run a marathon that was my third marathon and both marathons before that were not i just ran um, as hard as i could the whole time i didn't care about who was around me i just kept going and i was really mad at myself because i didn't do that this time i didn't just go when i felt like i could go um, i didn't listen to my body at all i just was so worried about what everybody else was doing the entire time. And it was very windy, very hilly. Um, so I, if I would have ran the way that I wanted to run, I may have not made the team anyway. Um, but looking back, I would have liked to see myself set myself up for, you know, success. And I didn't, didn't set myself up to make that team during the race. Um, and also you guys were talking about like how there were just so many people there and it was just it was packed it was it was the craziest race i've ever run just because of the noise this it was just very overwhelming for me um as somebody that likes the quiet and um this is maybe something that we could have focused on also is you know be overwhelmed by by um sensory like overload basically um Whereas like, I just, I love, you know, um, being out where we live because it is so quiet and away from people. And um, maybe I needed to subject myself to that more to really be able to find my Zen in chaos. So 
that was like something that um, was very unexpected was just like, again, sensory overload the entire time. It was amazing that so many people came out and came to cheer, um, but I just didn't quite know how much that would affect me. Um, and being able to like cogn cognitively like figure out how I was feeling um, and figure out how to tackle the situation at hand. And so I was not in the moment that I'm normally in um, I'm such a mindful person now and a mindful runner, and I just focus on the mile that I'm in while well, I was just, I couldn't even do that focus. And so I'm really mad at myself um, for that race. And so there's a lot of things that I have learned, though. And so I don't um, say it's a waste. It, at first, I was like, oh, it was a total waste of uh, fitness because I was in the shape of my life. But um, I took a lot from that race and I took a lot from um the experience of you know i just need to believe in myself more and have the confidence so going into the next race or trials i hope i have that so you think it was kind of a mental i don't want to say unpreparedness but just the kind of the shock of the moment and the crowds i'm, I'm curious how does you know, you've run major marathons before Chicago. So it was, you're saying it was significantly different than maybe a crowd or experience that you would see in Chicago. Yeah, it was, it was deafening the entire way. Um, because there, it was lined with, I mean, rows and rows of people and they were just all just screaming. And I just, I couldn't even hear myself breathe. Um, and that was just that was just weird it was just i just didn't expect chicago is loud and loud the entire way but not that like my head was just like pounding the whole time um which was again very cool just because wow many people came out to support us that is amazing but it was it was definitely much different than any race i've ever experienced when i think of off the grid, that lifestyle, and perhaps I do this erroneously, but I, I associate it with someone you know who's a free spirit, who's not tethered to the norms of society. Um, and then your professional pursuit, though, as a runner, as someone who competes in sports, is very ordered. There's very clear winners and losers, and a stopwatch that measures you. How do you reconcile those two parts of your life? Uh, that's what I have my husband for. Uh, he is the stat guy. He is the one that carries the watch. He is the one that um, is strategic and very um, analytical. And so I'm the one that is more free spirited, and I'm the one that you know wanted to move us out there because I can't handle uh, all the overwhelming things of society. Um, and he is good at that stuff. He is good at talking to people. He's really good at um, just keeping my life in order. So it's a good balance because, you know, he gets a little controlling at times, um, just like in his own life. And it's really good for him to be able to go back, you know, to our house and to kind of, you know, um, relax a bit and, and have me to um, help him relax a bit. And so it's a good combo, but that would be the only way that this would work. Um, I would still run um competitively just not in the sense that i do now um because i would just be again too free-spirited i would just be you know i wouldn't be controlled in my training i would just go run um for fun and um and go to races maybe like trail races or something that wasn't as serious um so it's nice to have that person that is kind of you know holding me accountable and and i love it and i love um, competing. I just need that extra push. And so um, being a free-spirited person, some people might get by um, on their own, but I can't. I, I need my husband for that reason. You mentioned being overwhelmed by the city. You went to Boston after your time in college in Boise. Was being overwhelmed, was that linked to the things you were talking about earlier, the anxiety, the depression, those other issues? Yeah, that was um, where I experienced um, it the most. Uh, just, just because I mean I love running, um, but it's I don't want it to be my whole life either. I want to do other things, and I wasn't able to do anything else when I was living in Boston. I didn't really know what I would have done 
Um, and so it just felt like um, I was just, you know, trying to breathe underwater. It just, it just didn't fit. Um, I was, there was just too many people, too much concrete and I, I couldn't make it work. And so a lot of depression set in a lot of anxiety and ended up having, you know, panic attacks just because I, I don't know why I just, you know, wasn't in the right headspace to be in that environment. Just everybody was go, go, go. It just didn't slow down at all. And so I need, I need, um, a space to, again, breathe. Um, there was no place to breathe there. It felt like, um, so yeah, again, I just need, um, less. And I think maybe because I, I grew up in a really small town. I was born in a town less than a thousand people. And so maybe that it stems from that, just, you know, my experience in my life. Um, maybe that's why, and maybe I didn't know how to navigate it, but maybe if I was there for longer, I would be able to adjust to it. But I just love nature so much and there's just so much more of it out here and so much more space. Um, and again, it helps in a situation that we're in to have that space. Did you know, you know, for a long time that you maybe wanted to live off the grid or did living in Boston and doing something the complete opposite of that finally show you that that's what you needed in your life? Yeah, I think I just was so unhappy that I just wanted a complete 180. Um, and that's definitely what it was. Uh, I don't think I would need to necessarily live off the grid to be happy. Um, I'm glad that we do and it's fun. And I don't think it's, again, permanent though. I don't think we'll live off the grid forever um, just because of, you know, what we want to do with our life and our, um, our aspirations and everything. Like we need to, we need people for the, for the life that we will want to live, you know, um, eventually. And so, but living off the grid was definitely um, an appealing thing just because it, it was something complete opposite of Boston. And so I thought that's what I needed. And I think it's again, good for the time that I'm in right now in my headspace and being able to kind of rejuvenate and, um, but nothing in life is permanent. And so, um, I'm not sold on the off-grid lifestyle for, for life. It just is what I need right now. You mentioned seeing online, it seems like some runners, maybe their priorities are track and field athletes or priorities are maybe misplaced right now. Um, I'm wondering if you are proceeding with thinking that you're going to run a marathon in the fall, or if you've even had time to, or energy to think about that. I have. I mean, we always think about, you know, the what our life was before this time and what it was going to be in the plans that we had. And um, I wanted to run a marathon this fall. Um, I think it's n also naive to think that these races are going to still go on. Um, it's just hard. I, I hate being pessimistic, but I just don't see any races going on the rest of the year um, with things going the way that they are. Um, so I'm planning on doing a marathon, but not, I mean, again, you just can't plan for the un unexpected. And so we're going to do what we do and run every day and train and this and that. But um, at the end of the day, if it doesn't happen, I'm not going to be upset. If I don't race the rest of the year, I'm not going to be upset. I understand why. And I think it's also naive to think even if this does get better with people, you know, if we find a cure for this and if people are getting better, the economy is still going to be really affected by this. And people are very affected by this. People are losing their jobs every day. People aren't going to be able to get back their jobs once this, once this gets better. And so I think it's it's hard to think about racing when, again, people are losing so much in their life, losing loved ones, losing their jobs, losing this and that. Um, so I, again, I want to race, I, of course, but I want everybody to be in a good, safe place before we even, you know, think about that happening. Um, so I hope that answers your question, but yeah i mean i want to race <laughs> everybody wants to do what they want to do you know i mean it's it's but the reality of the situation is we don't know
I, I want to ask a couple more questions about the off the grid stuff because it's fascinating to me. I mean, how close is your nearest neighbor? I know you go down to the river to get water, food. I'm assuming you drive have to drive into Boise to, to go to the grocery store. Can you give us as much detail as you can just about how close you are to things and how you do the normal things that we just drive down the street for in, in cities? Yeah. So an hour drive outside of like downtown Boise. So it's not that far, um, but our drive every single day, it's down a highway about 40 minutes and then you get onto like this dirt road that is just, it's straight up. Um, so the drive is intense. It's very bumpy. It's very like cliffside. It's like, it's pretty sketchy. Um, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, getting, getting people up there to like deliver things or this and that, like if you want lumber or if you want, you know, a big propane tank or um, certain things that like, you know, people need up there, it's, it's near impossible um, to get stuff up there. Uh, so that that's the biggest challenge is just like getting people to deliver mail and getting people to deliver <laughs> like, again like we need propane for our uh, our kitchen um, for our stove and this and that for our hot water heater and this and that and so uh, that that has been um, an issue is getting people to you know the propane companies to fill the the propane tank again. Uh, because especially with the winter months um is about five months of just feet and feet of snow um so we have to put on chains um on our car and um it takes us what normally takes us an hour to get to our house takes us like two hours in the winter so that's again another one of the bigger challenges so the other things that are like odd maybe uh, is the fetching of water you know trying to get um, enough water to do the dishes, or we do have like a solar shower. So we, we end up using that, um, for showering sometimes, um, or just drinking water. So we get our drinking water in Boise at the grocery store where we get all of our groceries. And so we get our groceries for like a week time. Um, so we don't have to keep going down, up and down, up and down. Mm. And then for the water that we use for dishes and for showering, we get at our natural spring. So it's this, this is basically like a hose that comes out of the, the mountain. Um, it's all snuff. Um, so it's very, very clean. Um, so it was that for ashes and our airing. So um, we just fill up like five jugs at a time. So we have like six, five gallon jugs. And so we fill those. We have um, a huge uh 250 gallon tank in the ground that we pour those into so that we have a supply of water at our house it's called a water cistern and yeah what else do you do you want to know um it seems so normal to us so like i don't really <laughs> do you know your neighbors how really... far away are they oh yeah uh we we know our neighbors very, very well. <laughs> um, they are about a half mile away, the closest people to us. And um, they they are mountain people. Um, so very, very nice. <laughs> but a little... What does that mean? What does mountain people mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, they... They've been through some things. They've, they've gotten into some things. I won't, I won't go beyond that. Um, <laughs> they're very, very sweet. And the only, the only way you can make it up there is if you are friends with your neighbors, because if, if you get snow, they're the ones that are going to be helping you out. If you can't get down the mountain, to get water, they're the, the ones that are going to supply you with water if they have some. So it's, it's a very communal, like living, um, again it's you can't do it out there alone so that is that is something that's really nice is to to have those people up there that that understand um why you live out there and why you you know go through the hard things of, of you know being able to survive out there and you do your running from boise or do you run from your house some days too so when we meet with the team we always go down to boise so that's um 
like workout days. So t Wednesday, Saturday, and then long run days on Sundays. And then the rest of the week, um, we run at our house. And so there's um, a lot of places to run where we are, but it's like straight up, straight down. So it's, it's great hill training. Um, I, I really like that kind of stuff. Um, but it's, it's hard. It's definitely hard. And we're at like 5,000 feet where our house is. So it's a bit of elevation running out there. Well, Emma, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to join us today. I just, a last question. I just, you know, for the wider running community, maybe people that are still out there, I don't know, r running with people that aren't necessarily social distancing. Do you have anything to say just to the running community of your experience with the situation and maybe advice? Yeah, I mean, I understand that you that everybody misses running with each other and running is such a social activity. And I mean, that's the best part about it is, you know, um, the, the times that you share with others through running, but this is not the time to be selfish. This is the time to think about others and to think about people that are on life support right now and in the ICU. Um, and just think about your loved ones that could be in that situation. And, um, I want people to think about my situation as well. Like I, you know, lost my dad to, um, lung disease and it's, it's not, it's not fun and you don't want to go through it. And, and it, this just isn't the time to be doing frivolous things such as running together and, and think about everybody else because we're all we have our loved ones, our friends, our family, those are the people that we have in this life. And life is too short to, you know, lose somebody that is so important to you. And this isn't permanent. This isn't, this isn't going to last forever. You can, I mean, hopefully be able to run with people, um, you know, in a few months, if we just take this seriously now, um, if we don't take this seriously now, it'll just prolong the, the not running together or the not seeing each other. So take this seriously now so that we can get back to our life again. So sorry, well, sorry, I'm so like, pessimistic. No, no. I'm sorry, I'm trying to be, but I, I want no. people to know that this is a big deal. Well, again, no, no, no apologies needed. And thank you so much for being candid and sharing your experience and, and your concerns. And uh, we just wish you health and safety and uh, hope to see you racing when it's safe again sometime soon. Thank you, guys. Bye.